Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the finale of Miss Marvel, for the finale of Boys Season 3, and for all of Stranger Things Season 4. So be warned, if you haven't watched any of that stuff, please watch it and come back, because it's a fun episode and I think you'll like it, but we don't want to spoil you. Jason Concepcion, welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Podcast, where we dive all the way down to the upside down, crawling up the ladder and then falling down as gravity reverses it to your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture in today's episode. We're going to discuss Stranger Things in the previously on. We're going to go to the airlock where we're going to talk about Boys, The Boys, Season 3, and the Ms. Marvel finale. And also, we're going to take a victory lap. Who am I going to take a victory lap with? I'm going to take a victory lap right now with the comics encyclopedia, the number one comics talker. She's writing. She's writing for outlets. She's writing her own comics. She's a creator, a producer, and an all-around genius of nerd stuff. Please welcome to the stage, Rosie Knight. Oh, hello. Hey. Wow, to be introduced like that by the Jason Conception. Imagine. Oh. Imagine. Imagine. Who could have dreamed? Who could have dreamed I would find myself out. here? Yeah. Rosie, yeah. how are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. What a wild day with that Ms. Marvel finale coming oh my out like that. And then nobody was expecting it. And we're just coming off the boys and we Stranger were right. Things. But and we'll we get were into right. that. We, we were right. We, just, we need to make T-shirts, you know, like uh, the Magneto was right the T-shirts. Magneto was but right. it says X-ray vision was right. <laughs> X-ray, yes. <laughs> and now we will get into that. But first, let's get into the Stranger Things. Okay, Stranger Things season four. Uh, created, of course, by the uh, the Duffer Brothers, starring Winona Ryder, David Harbour, Millie Bobby Brown, the the incredible, stretchable Finn Wolfhard, Gatton Matarazzo, my good friend Dustin. I love him so much. And, of course, the rest good of them, including Maya Hawk, Joe Keery, Charlie Heaton, uh, Sadie Sink. Hope you're doing well, Max. Uh, no recap to speak of, but let's just, you know, our, our good friends, they faced off against Vecna from different locations, Nevada, Russia, <laughs> uh, over in Hawkins. Uh, and they did it. They uh, It was a multi-part plan to lure Vecna into Max's memories. Uh, Eleven chipped in. Uh, of course, uh, uh, over in Russia, our buddies uh, chipped in by when uh, Joyce realized, hey, hive mind, I recognize those monsters. We can help them by uh, we can help them uh, uh, weaken the enemy, because if I if we hurt these uh, hive mind creatures, it will it will hurt everything. And it was fantastic. And I'll tell you, I as I was rewatching it this weekend, I the thing 
part of what why I liked it so much is uh, seasons one, two, three are good. I really I like mm-hmm. them as well. But especially the early seasons, I'm not going to say they felt disposable, but it felt like it would you know it was so nostalgia based and callback yeah. based that I was like it, it, that it felt like what is here that is just of this show. And what the mm-hmm. answer was the characters. Yeah. Now in season four, we've gotten to the point where the nostalgia, you know, we had these great moments as in this like extended fight against Vecna that was like operatic. It mm-hmm. was operatic in the mm-hmm. sense that like everybody, every emotional moment, whether it's Joyce and Hopper, you know, Hopper finally, like, telling Joyce, like, how he feels and kissing her with a mouth that hasn't been brushed in X <laughs> amount of years. Because he's been in, in, like, in a prison eating, like, bed bugs and maggots and who <laughs> lost those one? It's like, it, it's these moments where these characters who were always great get to like create these mini loops of nostalgia from within the very own series. And that's on top of the nostalgia of all the callbacks to the pop culture references and things that were happening at the time. And like, and, you know, like uh, textures from, uh, from Nightmare on Elm Street and oh, yeah, the various stuff. Spielberg stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All that stuff on. An, and then on top of that, the nostalgia of, Oh, I'm getting to hang out with these characters that I legitimately think are great. And we're getting all these emotional payoffs of them finally, like, mm-hmm. just coming clean with each other about how they feel. Um, and, and and then on top of all of that, after four seasons, we now have, as we said in previous episodes, like, a real world that has rules that we kind of know the shape of it. Mm-hmm. Just like just like Joyce being like, oh, hive mind. Like, as a callback, setting up a rule of the world so we know how it works. All of that stuff was great. Like all the Papa reveals, all like the the mind flayer uh, flesh mm-hmm. out. All that stuff is just great. And I, I really had a great time. Holy, sorry about that. Yeah, I think that Soul uh, Super Producer Soul just popped something in the thing that I think is a really good point. The characters have a history now. Like we know yes. them, we care about them. It's about the world building has grown alongside them. But something else that you said that really spoke to me, I definitely agree. Like seasons one and two are cool, but cool. season three was where I felt like the characters started to be on journeys that I really, really cared about. Like Max and Eleven having that friendships kind of building in in the mall and everything. I felt like that was really great from that season. I loved Dacre Montgomery as Max's brother. I thought that was such a great inclusion. And that really added these emotional stakes to me. It did something that I think we're going to talk about with the boys a lot this season. It did something that I think the best versions of these shows can do. Using sci-fi and horror as a space to explore trauma. Because so many of the reasons that we're drawn to horror and we're drawn to these grotesque, gory things, whether it's classic 80s style, like Nightmare on Elm Street, or like if we're into really, really bleak, like hostile style gore, like a lot of it comes from a place of wanting to explore that stuff safely. So I think it's really cool when these shows take the time to do that. And obviously that's what Vecna's playing on here is like the notion of trauma. And then 
how do you beat that is by healing, is by personal journey, is by coming yeah. clean, you know? And we get really cool moments here. Right? I wrote a really fun piece at Nerdist about putting each of the characters into like a D&D class. And I did so much research. And like one of the ones that I felt like is really strong here is, is Nancy uh, as the fighter. Because, yeah, she might not be like a yeah. main stage, but every time she's oh my there God. and you need her, she is there with that shotgun shooting Beckna. I love nothing more in any show, story, book, whatever, than gearing up, a gearing up for the final fight mm-hmm. scene. The I best. just love that shit. Uh like Monster Squad as a great one mm-hmm. of those. Monster you know, Squad, like Home classic. Alone. Like there's there's so many great Commando. There's great versions Ooh, of yeah. this. And I'll tell you what, man. Stranger Things with Nancy pumping that shotgun and mm-hmm. first of all buying it, like buy, be at the store <laughs> buying it. That was a an absolutely like top level gear up scene. Yeah, and I was just like so excited. You know what? You actually speak to something that I think is part of why season four has been received this way, right? It a lot of the stuff that happens in this season feels like they are earning and adding yeah, to the tropes and the canon rather than just doing a trope because you've yeah. seen it elsewhere. Like you said, that gearing up scene, people are going to put that alongside famous gearing up scenes now. Yeah. They didn't just do it because other movies do it. And I think as well, like I have just because this is This has been like my entire timeline for the last, like, since the show dropped. I mean, I've never seen a character come in and gain the absolute obsessive fandom of Eddie Munson. Uh, Joe (laughs) Quinn is Eddie Munson. My whole timeline. Talk to to Doja Cat about it. Ah, Right? Like, my, I mean, Doja, please look at him without the wig. It's not the same. Eddie is, Eddie is. I think he's a a good looking guy. I think he's he's a a handsome guy. guy. He's not Eddie Munson. Striking gentleman. (laughs) <laughs> Did you see the video of him really playing Master of Puppets? Yep. Yeah, well, he said he, he played he played guitar, and they asked him that when he was one of the things they asked him when he did the show, you know. And and to me, to see a, a, that character represented something that I think has been at the fringes of Stranger Things for a really mm-hmm. long time, but in this series hit on in a really, really deep way, which is that notion of being othered and being yes, the outsider. That's it. It's all but these outsiders that find Eddie, a place. Yeah, and Eddie brings them together in this way that is completely selfless. And when you first yeah. meet him, you're like, okay, it's the 80s. He likes Metallica. Like, is he a jock? But then he has a Dio back patch. So I was like, he's probably a good guy. Yeah. And then, but like, he's actually this incredibly generous soul who's kind yeah, of constantly real... fighting against yeah. the evil of Hawkins, which is not just about the upside down, it's also about people's perceptions. It's about this yeah. satanic panic kind of stuff. So I think they did so much interesting stuff here. And also I know nothing should ever be like just to set up the next season, but this does set up some really interesting stuff with Will and Eleven that to me, I feel like was like hinted at from the first season, but I feel like we might really get to see come to fruition <laughs> in the next season. So I'm, I, I would be most happy to see, to see those two have a little team up. I, I love the the like the little mini arc of Mike being like, yeah, you know, uh, eleven, you know, obviously, you know, like uh, we're with we, we've been through so much together, and I like you so much. And then she's like, what, love? What happened to love? And then like <laughs> he can't even write it on the flower. He can't even write it on the flower. And then finally, like he. It, he pays it off while everybody else is paying it off. And you get that wonderful moment yeah. where he admits how he feels. You know what else and I think? And he still feels that way. You know, shouting out your little buddy, I think something that's been really cool as well is to see Dustin essentially go from like the comedy relief to being the true leader of the, the party. Yeah, like the guy. That, his, 
his pop culture knowledge and references, that is now his armory. It's kind of like us. It's like, that's what he can pull from to know stuff. He doesn't drop it to be cool. He, that is how he solves mysteries. That's how he solves problems. You know, he's the inventor, the artificer. I thought, I, I, I have always loved Dustin, but I was very happy for that journey. And I'm really excited to see that because Mike used to be the kind of like, you know, go-to leader, but I would say Dustin is really that. I loved now. him. I loved him, uh, you know, in the uh, lure away the, the demo bats mission uh, with Master of Puppets and Eddie Munson on guitar. Uh, R.I.P. Just like R.I.P. to my guy. I loved how like del- there's fucking demons like around. He's just we so could happy. die at any moment, and he's just like, yeah, this is. He's so looking cool. at Eddie, and he's like, yeah. this is sick. <laughs> this is sick. That was just absolutely delightful. And I'll just say, like, I was a little bit. As so as a as a reformed guitar player myself, mm-hmm. who uh, who went through a pretty heavy Metallica phase, uh, and used to hang out with metalheads, the big thing, as I'm sure Eddie Munson would tell you, with metal is it's all downstrokes. That right hand picking technique, you know, your hand, it, it, you know, moves up and down, right? So like the more efficient way to like do like a is to go, you know, down up down down down, you know, like that. But in metal. That's wrong. Metal is all downstrokes. Metal is all like punching punching down on the ground again and again and again. And I was a little disappointed that no like reporter, no journalist was like, so, okay, Joseph Quinn, uh, great, uh, incredible video of of you playing Master Pups. Are you doing all downstrokes as you are supposed (laughs) to do? Joseph Quinn, uh, please send your answers on a postcard. Do X-ray vision. We want to know. Come on here and show us. Was it all downstrokes? We need to know. The people want to know. Um, setting up for uh, season five, which hopefully will not be spoiled by Legos uh, this time. <laughs> we can dream. <laughs> uh, well, I just I we should say, so that's... The Duffer Brothers were a little miffed because mm-hmm. some plot stuff from season four was spoiled by Lego, which joined the club. Like it happens to Star everything. Wars, uh, uh, Doctor know, Strange, Fantastic Beasts, Doctor Strange. <laughs> many, many properties have been uh, spoiled by Legos. But I am Ben. What's going to happen with Max? Uh, all of that stuff, like going, like Eleven uh, searching, like her mind is going to be a big part of it. And yeah. I, and I I think that as well, like the, I think, so from the outset, if we look at the D&D stuff, which has always been really key to this, like, um, you know, Will, I think was always their wizard, right? And Eleven was a more yeah. generic, like magic user was, was how Mike saw her, but she's obviously a mage. I think that end with Will's like connection to Vector, uh, Vecna, I actually think we might see him kind of take on like a, good Hannibal reference here, but like a Will Graham, like empath style, I like superhero that. where he can hunt down Vecna. He can team up Just with L and get to have his, for those his of you, hero moment. For those of us who don't know, that's a, a reference to Will Graham from the Thomas Harris Silence of the Lambs novel. Red Dragon is the, is the one mm-hmm, he's from. Mm-hmm. And then adapted later by Michael Mann and Manhunter and then later became a series. And Will Graham is just... He's a fa- he's a fascinating character because basically the, the whole thing with him is he understands what drives a serial killer so well because 
as Lecter is always kind of like mm-hmm. teasing him, he almost he he's like an inch away from becoming yeah, like he it, could almost be one. It's one and of that, the, and, that, and that dynamic with Will, I think, would be so right? amazing. I think like, this notion he's, of he's the ultimate yeah. outsider and he can start to feel it and Vecna can take advantage of those manipulations. And I would just say, like, if you haven't watched the the if you can believe it, it was on NBC, you'll never believe it when it you watch the It doesn't make sense that the show was on it NBC. It's so gory, <laughs> it's so grotesque, it's so brilliant. But that really explores that notion of 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 being an empath to the point where it's like a superhero and a curse and how it can be manipulated. And I feel like they will be very smart to bring in I an just, element like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think that that's right on. I just need them to get Will a better haircut. We can't and a keep boyfriend. doing this to my Let's guy. just commit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just commit to it, please. Oh my God, no, it's so true. Did you see the, there was a really, really hilarious meme and it was like, how could it was like somebody had posted like how could Mike not see Will crying like that and then <laughs> yes, they were like all like, they could see and it's just a thumb with a bowl <laughs> cut. <laughs> that was so funny. Oh, Will, please, we need the Joyce the better than the Joyce special, please. One more thing I want to shout out is my friend Heidi was uh, said this to me. She's like, I realized like the last like three episodes that I just had my fist clenched the whole time, like particularly. The uh, uh, chapter eight Papa episode when Eleven, when, you know, Papa's running and the sniper is from the helicopter is like shooting at him and Eleven is like shaking the helicopter with her powers trying to throw. That was as visually like stunning as anything I've seen in a while. I, I was just like, this looks great. Like I, yeah, I, like, I felt like I was watching this on a big screen. Like some of the I action like, sequence in this were just so great. It's actually nice to see where that thirty million dollars an episode went. You know, aside from cost, which like yeah. pay those kids because yeah. something got, else they, that they deserve it. This no, definitely who has, more le- who has more leverage than these fucking kids right now? These children. You gotta make, you gotta make season five. What are you gonna do? Say, uh, yeah. say Dustin, Dustin died off screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, he's gone up to space. You know, like that Simpsons yeah. episode. But yeah. like, it's definitely one of those yeah. things where, like, the other thing that this show has always done really great from the beginning, which I think is why it targets people like me and you, because this is one of our favorite things: found family, kids, yeah. ragtag group who you care Absolutely. about, who you would die for. This does that. Umbrella Academy does that. We're about to get into how Miss Marvel really leans into that. This episode, like, I love those stories. It goes back to the X-Men, which has always yes. been one of the most important touch points for this show. You know, the first episode of this season is called The Hellfire Club, a big, you know, X-Men reference, even though it has historical resonance outside of that. It's also what D&D Club is called. So it. I just think, like, there's so much in just those relationships that can carry it. And that's kind of where the heart it's, of the show is. We were talking about, we were talking about the, uh, the, uh, the Norwegian movie, uh, worst person in the world before we hit record. <laughs> and I was saying what I liked about it was that it was less a plot driven movie and more a movie in which, everything turns on how well the main character is fleshed out. And it's like we've hit that. For me, Stranger Things has hit that point where it's just Mm. like you just know who these people are and it's so great to spend time with them. I will say the my here's my one. It's not even a disappointment. Lucas, man, you got to have hands. How are you getting your ass? He won the fight. He did win the fight. I will say, though, bro, in terms of happened in in, (laughs) you. 
in terms of that very aspect of the characters, I would love to see them bring in some writers who can really do justice to Lucas and Erica next season. That yeah, would be like so. my big get. I also say like resurrect Eddie. I think that, that that's what the people want. Resur- you could bring him back bring as like some back. spooky shit yes. next to Vecna. Like that's what the people want, man. They're giving you free, that is bring free consumer Eddie testing. Back. They're I telling you, bring, bring Eddie back. back. <laughs> and next time Lucas gets to fight like a, like a dickhead jock who's been a piece of shit for the entire season, Instead Evil. of like, instead of making it like a like a a back and forth seesaw battle, how about just Lucas just pummels the guy's face yes, for that's twenty cathartic. minutes, and then that's eventually cathartic. that guy's body gets destroyed by I'm a I'm telling you, you know, like, like this just, is. Can I just watch Lucas stomp this guy for five we, minutes? We straight? gotta move. That's the next step in this idea yeah. of like, look. People are racist and and there are ways of showing that and and the dangers of it and how terrible it is. But you know what everyone's seen? Everyone's seen black people being victims of racism. Everyone's gotten to see the horrors of that. Can we just see somebody stomping out a racist? I would love to see it. That's the next step. I don't like there have been some critiques, some of like, oh, we're not exploring small town racism. Okay, I get it. Like that's that is an absolutely important thing to explore and to show at times. But I also like, again, like, and I don't want to speak for anybody. I'm speaking for myself, like as a, um, a, just from my personal experience that I can, I can interact with those ideas, with that history, with stories like that. There's a million choices. I really appreciate the fact that when I'm with my friends from Hawkins, it's just the reality of this world. And it's, and not to say disconnected from the real world, but it's a different, it's a more heightened ver- pop culture inflected version mm-hmm. of that world in which we can just like enjoy this plot. Yeah. And I would I have enjoyed this plot thing, a little yeah. bit more if Lucas would have not struggled. My guy, Lucas, yeah. you got to get I think your the hands Lucas up. Thing, you got to, he needs I think to join a boxing from, gym before, before season it five. It deviates and, from that that power that this has of getting yeah. to be distanced. Lucas doesn't get that freedom, but I'm really hoping Lucas and Max want to see it. Eleven and Will team up. Want to see it. Like, there's things I want for these characters. You know, I'm now a Stephen Eddie shipper, but I like the Stephen Nancy stuff that they hinted at. Come on, you're telling me in any world anyone's going to go out Steve's... with Jonathan instead of Steve. I think <laughs> yeah, that's not. that's very tough. The same way will... Will, have, will has a crush on Mike. No, yeah. he would have a crush on Steve. Steve yeah, is everybody would have a crush on delightful Steve. <laughs> one. That is a character arc for the ages. Like that is, I, I, if, if there was one thing from the beginning to now that has always been consistently say, great, it is... The character arc of Steve going from the jockish, bully, popular kid to becoming yep. this caretaker, leader, yes. who, who yes, he respected yes, yes. even in these moments of telling Nancy how he felt. It was all about her boundaries. This is how I feel. Yes. I don't want you to feel that way, but I need I you to know that. I know I did wrong. Absolutely like, so much. Oh, Steve, uh, yeah, Steve's having a great time. Jonathan. I got to say, eh, I, I come back Steve next would, season. I thought... There was a second there where I thought Steve was about to get topped off in the upside down. Uh, like thank I, thought, you. I thought it was I thought it was about to, I thought I thought it was about to go down I'm in telling the upside you. down. I'm telling you. <laughs> and listen, has it ever happened before? Let's make history, folks. Steve Nancy, <laughs> like next time we're down there, let's make history. That's could, all I'm it saying. It could happen. There was a there was a moment. <laughs> the, the things were feeling. Like it's an you could put a, you could put a, a warning beforehand. <laughs> I don't right. watch this show. <laughs> okay. Up next, uh the airlock. 
Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Stepping out of the airlock to talk about The Boys and Miss Marvel. First up, season three of The Boys, the season three finale, Instant White Hot Wild, written by Logan Ritchie and David Reed, directed by Sarah Boyd. Here we go. Homelander lands at the farmhouse where his soup son, Ryan Butcher, has been hiding under the care of Boys founder and, and former payback team member and former CIA director, Grace Mallory. Generally evil woman. She's done a lot of bad shit, and she's trying to make up for it, and she's not doing a great job. She's doing a bad job. <laughs> uh, Homelander's like, I just want to talk. When is when do you ever believe that from this guy? Anyway, this is Homelander. Grace and Ryan are terrified, clearly. Homelander uh, it reacts with the uh, iconic and stereotypical Homelander simmering rage when Ryan refers to Mallory as Aunt Grace. He's like, Aunt? Okay, whatever. Aunt Grace is like reaching for her cell phone. Homelander, where the super hearing hears it, is like, don't even fucking do it. <laughs> Ryan uh, asks Homelander in a really actually like <laughs> whenever this show gets heartfelt, it's crazy. But Ryan is really the touchstone for a real emotion in this show. And he's mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, uh, are you mad at me for, you know, the thing where I uh, burned Stormfront, the woman you love, the Nazi woman you love, into like a little uh, stump person with it. It was, was like wrong. melted face. And also my mom died in that incident or it was mortally wounded. It was tough. Are you mad at me for that? And Homelander's like, no, no, of course not. I, absolutely not. Was I was I still masturbating to that stump Nazi uh, earlier in the season? I was, but I'm not mad about that. I killed, I'm Homelander, and you know what? I kill people all the time by accident. (laughs) It's really not a big deal. I killed a whole passenger plane sort of by accident once because I lasered through the pilot's skull and destroyed the the instrument panel. So that happens, and so I'm not mad at you, and they embrace and they fly off. Uh, Outside Vought HQ, pro-Starlight protesters fired up by Starlight's social media leaks. A lot of social media leaks Mm -hmm. in these finales. Yes, a lot. A lot of it are squaring up against pro-Homelander protesters. Meanwhile, inside the building, uh, the Deep and Ashley are like, what the fuck do we do? Um, uh, The AG, the the attorney general, general is coming here. Uh, she's got a search warrant. And when did, man, you know it's serious when the attorney general is coming in person. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, of a TikTok video. Because of a TikTok video saying that Maeve is not really in rehab. She is imprisoned in Vaud HQ. So they're like, what do we do? Here's what they do. They spray some kind of sedative into Maeve's cell and they're going to get her out of there. Meanwhile, Hugh and, Hugh and Butcher have their own concerns. Soldier Boy of course, we've seen that this guy is suffering from a mighty, mighty, mighty case of PTSD, uh, which is not an excuse for what a terrible person he is, but he is suffering from that. He's, mm-hmm. uh, and now he's having to deal with the prospect of murdering his 
the issue of his body, Homelander, his son, Homelander. Uh, and so he's kind of self-medicating as he's off to do with uh, with whiskey. Uh, and then there's, of course, the issue of the fact that Huey and Butcher could die at literally any second because they've been taking the the temporary V and Huey's like bleeding black shit out of his ear. Yeah, <laughs> so like rightfully told you so. Like absolutely yes, told, told you, you so. This absolutely. was a terrible hey, idea. Huey, anytime time Starlight says something, just listen because she's right 100% yeah. of the time. I, I will say this is a great, I feel like the, the use of V in this, the temp V in this show has been a really, really great uh, microcosm for how thoughtfully the boys I, handle stuff because they don't they didn't use it to be like this is about addiction they used it to be about this is about toxic masculinity this is about an it, obsession with power and I found this that is about be, power yes that's it's exactly so right. good and it's and they even have a great moment where Starlight says to Huey she's like I thought this was the drugs but actually it's you and it's it, it's, it really is a very thoughtful like forward thinking use of addiction to tell a story that's really about something else. Yeah, because really the central critique of the boys, if you could say there is one, is what would happen if people had ultimate power, superhero level power, and then the people who oppose them have to take the position that power must be limited. So what happens Mm -hmm. when those people Mm -hmm. begin to dabble in unlimited power? And And that's been a super, super interesting driver a lot of the a lot of the story this season. Uh, Butcher, of course, uh, is just like, he's cannonballing straight ahead. Mm -hmm. He does not care about any of this stuff. He's like, uh, you know what we need to do? We need to go, we need to go get Morphe. We'll have Huey teleport us to the bad guys and we'll take, and after we take the V, we'll kill Noir and that's it. We'll kill Homelander and then we're finished, all right? Uh, and Soldier Boy's like, whatever, I'm going to go drink more whiskey goodnight. Vought paramilitaries uh, take the sedated Maeve across town. Uh, so the AG can't find her. But of course, Maeve is a fucking superhero, folks. You think she hasn't been through shit like this before? She wakes up. She She's literally Wonder the armor Woman. Car. She's Wonder Woman. What do you just think? You got to dose her again. You can't just. <laughs> Constant you gonna, dosage. It's like the T-Rexes. Dosing. T-Rexes yeah. in Jurassic World. You've got to keep them got to keep them pumped up, man. You can't just dose someone once. She can go toe-to-toe with Homelander. And you're just going to dose her once? Yeah, what are you doing? She wakes up. She kills everyone and fucking escapes. Frenchie. Uh, over at MM's house, comes to MM and is uh, and is like, uh, hey, I know what we can do to take down Soldier Boy. Uh, now that we lost the previous sedative, we can use the neurotoxin Novichuk, which is a real-life poison, which the Russians have often used to take care of troublesome dissidents. There's only one dose on the eastern seaboard, and so they're going to try and get it. Uh, MM, the moral heart of the boys, and I, I would actually say if there is a hero on the boys— mm-hmm. It is M.M. Yeah. Mother's Milk is the hero of the story, the moral center, the beating heart, the one character who is always keeping in sight, like, what they are there to do and and what, and what they are fighting about mm-hmm. and keeping those lines clearly drawn. Yeah, it was really funny. I had a moment when I was watching it and I was like, M.M. doesn't have powers. And then I remembered that the whole notion of the boys is none of them have powers and yeah. they hate soups. But they've gone so far down this rabbit hole of temporary V and yeah. experiments and stuff that it's, hard, it's easy to forget that. But he is, not only is he like a moral center, but what I really love about him is it's not some puritanical, he is like a great guy. And 
yeah, he yeah. is someone who is very human in a way a lot of the other characters have lost. And he is the one who, when Starlight says to him, like, no, we need to do something good, he is the only one who will listen. He is the only one who yes. remembers that it's true. She can't go to anyone else and get that help. He is the helper. He is the carer. I mean, even this episode shows it really well. We'll get into it in a minute. But even in his personal life, he makes mistakes, but he makes up for them in a way. And he feels, that, he feels, and he feels bad, bad about them. Like, unlike a lot of our other heroes. So M.M., in this case, right now, in this scene, he's feeling bad because he punched... Uh, his daughter's stepfather, who is a Homelander-loving fascist and deserved it, but still Honestly, you don't want to do that in but, yeah, but you don't, don't want to do that in front of your daughter. I get it. He feels bad for losing control. Frenchie tells MM like you're the best human being I know. Just the respect that Frenchie shows to him is really mm-hmm. great here. Uh, and then. He, and then he's like, listen, you just have to tell your daughter the truth about your family history. Your family was was murdered by Soldier Boy, et cetera. And also, get back on the Lexa Pro, man. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> like, I love Frenchie so much. Yeah, I love Frenchie. Frenchie and Kamiko, that's like a – I love them. Back at Vought, Ashley and the Deep find Homelander in his suite watching NNC News, uh, just watching a report about Vought stock prices, which are in the toilet as the result of Starlight's various social media missives. And – her most recent post in which she secretly taped Homelander going on one of his trademark psychotic screeds, which let me just say, they should have released the airplane tape originally. This was mm-hmm, like an actually mm-hmm, crucial mistake mm-hmm. that the boys did. When when Homelander was like, I'll kill a million people, I, ca- I call your bluff. Because here's the thing. If as the champions of limited power, the boys backup is people it's public yeah. opinion and they just needed to they should have released a video but that's you know neither here nor no, there no no but they, i think that's really i think you raise an interesting point because i wonder if the notion of it is like you you see over these three seasons is like the boys going from this tiny enclave of like violent men to like spreading out and understanding more about like community and bringing in yeah. different voices and maybe they like needed to have that journey but obviously yeah that's one of those I call it like a walking dead thing that's like my walking dead thing is where like you can you could have done something five episodes or a season ago and been in the same place I, but you have I, to do the journey to get there so this I, to me is is smacks I, of that I love this season but there are notes of that throughout yeah this episode we'll continue uh Ashley and the Deep are absolutely shitting themselves uh, <laughs> because they now have to break the news to an already pissed Homelander that may have escaped. And it's it is 100 percent more Ashley's than the Deep's, but it's their fault. Homelander hears this and he's about to fucking blow his top and maybe kill one or both of them totally. when, when uh, Black Noir uh, prodigal son, Black Noir, returns. Mm-hmm. He's, of course, been on the run uh, and Ashley and the Deep clear out. Clearly relieved. Noir shows Homelander a note that says, Soldier Boy will come, we kill, and then they embrace. Uh, At a gas station somewhere, uh, Butcher socks Huey, knocking him out so Huey can't take more V and come on the mission with them. Uh, uh, Homelander then gets back in the car. Soldier Boy wakes up and says, Where's the cum guzzler? Jesus Christ. And he was like, you know what? You you were right. He was a coward. He ran for it and he left. And now we're going to do it ourselves, aren't we? 
Uh, and so SB is like, great, we'll uh, go back to sleep. Uh, A-Train arrives at his brother Nathan's house. Nathan uh, now without the use of his legs uh, because of the attack by uh, Blue Hawk, which is essentially A-Train's fault. Nathan isn't doing great. Uh, Nathan is surprised to see him. And A-Train is like, hey, um, I'm alive after the events of Herogasm. I got a brand new heart. He does leave out the part where it's Blue Hawk's heart. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That dun, was dun, dun. such an absolutely evil move by Vought's oh. PR person. She just did that to fuck with him. Like, yeah, come on. I, it's it's very cruel. It's very, it's almost like very like eerie Indiana. Like you get the heart and like, will it, it make you? <laughs> yeah. like, but I mean, I will also say as well, like we'll get into this later, but something this season just does so well that all the seasons have done well, but this is the extra version of it is like, this is just so searingly real about how these corporations work. Yeah, and, and, and that relationship with A-Train, I think, is is very, very, very key I to the way who, that these heroes are, like, tokenized and, and utilized as tools. Someone on Twitter, and I forget who, and I apologize to them for not getting their tag, but said that, uh, paraphrasing now, but it's like the boys wields its satire, like Paul Verhoeven, mm-hmm. like RoboCop, like uh, where it's just absolutely bashing you in the face with the satire. Yeah, it's and Starship that's Troopers. What, it's Starship that's, Troopers. That's what's great about the boys. Mm-hmm. There's nothing subtle about the boys. There's still no, like, dude, this you season, know, there was a character named Stormfront. You I know? mean, like, the, this season, and they did, and some people, they didn't realize she was a Nazi. But like this season as well, you introduced the legend, you know, the Stan Lee character by, played by yeah. Paul Reiser. And they literally <laughs> have words yeah. of him. He literally sits there and has a scene where he talks about how he sat there making up myths and earned millions. Like, they're yeah. not afraid to just be real. They, you know, at one point, Soldier Boy says, you know, shut up or I'll slap you like Connery. Like, they're yeah. just like, and then you get the stuff with when they're talking about Disney or Warner Brothers and and the kind of notion of how these superheroes are wielded almost like a modern god pantheon. It's it's very, very funny. But you're right, the Verhoeven, uh, yeah, Jacob Hall. Jacob, uh, Jacob Hall. This was yeah, Jacob Hall from the, Slash Films. The Verhoeven it's a great, it's a great, is uh, such a good call because like when yeah. Starship, you know, he's maybe my favorite director, but definitely one of them. And when Starship Troopers came out, you know, that was a movie that was widely misunderstood by critics who were like, oh, he's making this horrific pro-military, pro-America movie. And it's actually just an incredibly grotesque satire of those very things. And the boys, if you watched it, you could be like, oh, is this like, are we supposed to like them? But I mean, it's Eric like, Kripke you does. know, there's a, all the all the Homelander fans <laughs> yes, who suddenly realized that was this happening. season was like, oh, wait, he's the bad guy? Yeah, and I think Eric Kripke does a really good job of balancing that constant, on that constant knife's edge of, well, we're making entertainment and you're choosing to watch it. Yeah. And the entertainment we're making is also the thing we're critiquing constantly. That's really hard to do, and I... I think they do a really good job. And this season, this season did a a better job than any other season. I agree. So A Train tries to reconcile with his with his brother, but it uh, but Nate doesn't want to hear it. He's angry because A Train, rather than bringing Blue Hawk to justice, which actually, listen, I wanted to see Blue Hawk dead too. But I think (laughs) for actual for act for what Nate wants, which is actual change in the community, someone needs to pay a price in the in the legal system to like actually change things. And now that's been taken from yeah, them because be held uh, Blue Hawk is dead. Held yeah. accountable in the light of, of, of the courts. So everybody can see it didn't happen because his brother killed him. Um, a train 
initially tries to lie like, oh, Soldier Boy did it, but Nate knows it's not true. And then they fight and Nate falls out of his chair. And that's it for that relationship. Starlight picks Huey up from the gas station. She is super mad because Huey's been lying for a long time about taking V and stuff. And uh, Starlight realizing that Butcher has not, as he promised to do, told Huey that that one more dose of, of Compound V could kill him, tells him. And Huey realizes then that Butcher punched him to save his life. Uh, he has some further realizations about just like what moral strength is and he apologizes to Starlight for everything. She's like, I fucking told you. Uh, and then Star gets a phone call from Maeve. Maeve is at MM's. Huey and MM give uh, Star and Maeve some privacy. Maeve credits Starlight's social media campaign with giving her the opportunity to escape. Uh, but she's also like, why don't you just fucking, like a real superhero, just fucking bust me out? What What is up? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Kamiko uh, can't stand to see Frenchie abusing himself the way he is, you know, totally depressed about like the, the way that his past has come up and he's been re-traumatized by things that have happened in his past and his past failures and he's snorting lines and generally acting like he doesn't care about life anymore. Uh, but Kamiko, and you're absolutely right. This is like, I, nothing can happen to them. No, that's I will, all, yeah, I will like, protect them with my life. Like, I yes. will riot. Like, they, they did such nothing, a good job. Nothing and, can happen to them. Yeah. And they did a they did a much better job this season as well, I think, of of giving Kamiko a space to verbalize her feelings and, and yeah. her relationships with people and stuff and in, in multiple inventive ways. So I, I really love to see this. And, and I love the way that for Kamiko, it was like, I didn't think I could ever be, you know, better but you saw something in me and and don't give up because I see it in you. I and thought that was really powerful. And it's just an incredible performance all around by uh, Karen Fukuhara. Yeah, unbelievable. So good. She, there's um, so many episodes in this season when I was watching and re-watching for the, for the prep where I was just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, like, she's you as good. are it. You are she the is, thing in this she show. She does it is, with, with, with facial expressions, with gesture, with posture, and she's just so fucking good. She's great. Uh, Maeve is freaking out after learning uh, that Soldier Boy is Homelander's dad. Understandable. <laughs> yeah, understandable. Starlight, meanwhile, is like on the phone to Vought trying to raise the alarm so several thousand people uh, at Vought Tower don't die. She leaves a message on the answering machine. The boys plus Star and Maeve come up with a plan. Okay, we're going to go take down Soldier Boy. Uh, and save Butcher, right? Huey's like, we're and save Butcher too. He's like, good, he saved my life. MM isn't so sure. He's pretty sure that, that Butcher has gone all the way bad because of all the compound V he is taking. But Huey says, listen, really deep down. Like, I mean deep. Like, all... Deep, like, deep, deep in his like little deep, toe. Yeah, like, all the way down. I think there's still some good. Um, and then he says the thing that I think is kind of the central ethos of the stand that this show is taking, which is we save everyone, even if they don't deserve it, especially if they don't deserve it, mm -hmm. which I think raises an interesting moral quandary, which I've been thinking about, which I'm now going to ask you about now. Yes. So I think that unlimited power is, of course, terrible. Uh, superhero power uh, is, of course, bad. Um, and that it should be critiqued and it should be fought against and... If you're going to power yourself up as our as our friends do here, it should be done very, very carefully with a lot of lot of oversight. But the thing I was and and I respect MM's stance and I agree with it most of the time. The thing I was thinking of 
in the context of our broader world is mm-hmm. when are you talking about power to win or are you or are you talking about meeting structural power with structural yes. power what what i mean is this if one side is using power to win at what point do you decide the game the rules of the game have now been so warped that mm-hmm. you have to meet that power with power in order to balance things and i think that that is a very seductive question and everybody thinks that they know the right answer. And usually what happens is you pick up the scepter of power and you are wrong or you go too mm-hmm. far. But I also think it's a it's a it's a thing that needs to be thought about and debated yeah. because if the other side has all the superheroes and they are empowering and upholding like a despotic fascist system, and the only way to bring them down is to power yourself up for a little while. Yeah. You have to seriously consider doing it. I mean, it's the boys, it's the it's the boys asking the ultimate superhero question. It's the Magneto right. argument versus the Charles Xavier argument. It's the notion of do you meet power and violence with power and violence or do you try and take the higher ground and protect everyone? What I really actually like about the way that the boys is presenting it is it's not this notion of of kind of a lot of times this gets pulled down to almost like a non-violence versus violence and non-power yeah. versus power. Right. Here it's more like we're going to do what needs to be done and try and wreak as little damage as possible, which right. I actually think is a pretty radical, that's like a very realistic yet radical notion where it's like you have to do something yeah, terrible what point to, to stop respond. Homelander. You have right. to do something terrible to respond to him. But and all you can do is think: How many people can we save, and right. how can we cause as little damage, collateral damage, as possible? Yeah, that part of it is. I found myself thinking about very interesting uh, question. A lot. Um, over at Boys HQ in the Flatiron, Soldier Boy and Butcher are chatting about dads. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out they both had really bad ones. Uh, Butcher uh, wrecks his phone rather than pick up a call from Grace Mallory. We learned that Soldier Boy's dad was a complete piece of shit that even after Soldier Boy became a, a superhero, his dad was like, you cheated. You took a shortcut. Uh, this is clearly resonating with Butcher, whose dad, as we have seen in the flashbacks, was also like a real, real, real piece of shit. Uh, Troublingly, Soldier Boy then says, I always wanted to have kids. I think I'd be a better father than my dad, which uh, triggers Butcher to be like, you know, hey, he's not your son. They made him to replace you. You didn't raise him. Uh, truth bombs, but listen, Soldier Boy, is he looking for that emotional connection? We don't know. Not um, yet. And it's unclear whether Butcher and Soldier Boy still have a deal over at Vought. Homelander finds Noir sharpening his katana. He asks Noir, uh, like, uh, Soldier Boy, what was, did, what was he like? Bad, Noir scribbles. Homie then asks Noir the key question. Did you, as Soldier Boy's former teammate on Payback, know that, and by the way, I can see you because I have x-ray vision. I can see your face under that fucking mask. Did you know he was my dad? And Noir's like, yeah. Uh, They embrace and then Homelander disembowels Noir, tears his guts out, and Noir dies as his cartoon friends keep him company throughout his final moments. Yeah, I want to say- Do we think he's dead? Do we think Noir's dead or yes or no? 
generally I've kind of felt like he was near immortal slash very good at healing in a Wolverine yeah. or Deadpool star way in the past. This seemed pretty brutal and finite. His guts were all His the way His guts out. were everywhere. I also, I have to say, like, this is, to me, Noir's arc on this this season has is a is proof of how inventive and thoughtful the team behind this is because yes. at the using his this is a character who is essentially faceless emotionless in we the comics we should say right. yeah in and, the and comics we, he is a clone of homeland yeah exactly and 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 here is kind of like that we only experience so far in the show up until this point we've only really experienced his experiences through other people's perceptions of them and by adding this PTSD, imaginary friend, hallucinogenic aspect of these animated characters, which one, by the way, beautifully animated. Ana- yeah, one Amazon's done. animation, unbelievable. Two, it made his death have so much weight. It felt really, really I felt sad. Bad about it. it felt really sad. Because and you guy, learn, and he sucks. And yeah, you, he sucks. <laughs> he absolutely sucks. But you learn about his PTSD. You learn about there's another thing, like we were saying, I was saying about Stranger Things, and I think the boys does it in a way, way more expansive and deep way. This whole season is about these cycles of abuse and cycles yeah, of trauma. Really the government is abusing these superheroes by raising them. You know, Homelander was raised to be this fascist Nazi piece of shit. Now, does that mean he could have changed along the way? Of course it does. Does he constantly make terrible choices? Yes. But we get to see with his son as well, like these cycles continue until you break them. And yeah. this show has done such a good job of just being really empathetic to everyone, both good and bad, and giving everyone a kind of humanity. And it's so funny, because if you were like, yeah, there's a character who wears a mask, and he's kind of like a Deadpool-esque Batman character, and then he started seeing all these animated characters, and it was like really emotional, people would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But when you actually watch it, when it hits, it hits, and then when he dies, you're like, oh, I care, because it's not the first time he died. And the other times I, I was like, eh, do I care? What no. I think is part of... I love what you said because I think part of what our heroes in this show do really well is give each other the opportunity to like take the off ramp before they pass on their trauma to someone else. Before they act on it, act on that trauma as a way to take back agency because Mm -hmm. something bad was done to them. Therefore, I can do something bad to somebody else. I'm taking back control. This is the way the world works. But all of our heroes – the way they talk to each other, the way they uh, suggest, uh, you know, that a character, you know, talk to Janice, excuse mm-hmm. me, as, as Frenchie says to M.M., uh, as Starlight, you know, the way Starlight uh, comes clean and talks to Huey. They're all giving each other these opportunities to, like, get out of, take the off-ramp yeah. off the cycle before they pass on the bad stuff. I love that. And I'm very excited to see how that kind of manifests for Butcher in the next season because, like, he has these huge moments this season, especially when he has that whole flashback to Lenny and, and his childhood yeah. and the mistakes he made. And for the first time, he sees them at every point when he yeah. is watching that happen. He's saying, no, do something different. Don't do that. Do this. He's already learning it. But the question, but then in that, even after that experience, he couldn't just be truthful to Huey face to face. It had to, he had to do it in some weird, convoluted way that but, he turned to violence to push him away and all but that. But you're right. Just the fact that he is like engaging with those memories in a, in a way, way where, where he's he know, blaming yeah, himself. He's he's actually taking for the first time seemingly in his life, mm-hmm. taking uh taking stock and processing those events and finding out how they power him. Listen, like like for anybody who's been to therapy, what happens? Mm. You start talking about shit like the earliest stuff. It's oh that's always where you go. You go 
for me anyway, uh, you end up going back to stuff from when you're a kid and what that's like the root of who mm-hmm. everyone is. It's all mm-hmm. comes from there. Like uh, all the feelings of like not being accepted and being traumatized, it all comes from there. And, and uh, because that's the time in your life when you just had no power, you had no yep. agency uh, and you were looking for it and you were looking for signals about how to wield it. And so, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see where Butcher He's- goes next he's never going to be a classical hero that's not who he is that's not what the show is but i'm interested to see what his you know traditional classical hero's journey is now that he's coming to terms with that and what how it manifests itself in the next season back at the flat iron uh the boys find butcher he's about to take some v uh mm gets in his face huey pulls him away they try in this moment to talk butcher into being like actual heroes for once like think about all the people that are in that tower is thousands of people there's janitors it's just like normal people going about their work we need to stop soldier boy uh maybe it's like dewey and she takes the nova truck she throws it 20 miles out the fucking window uh, sorry to whoever she, that hit yeah, outside so like, like you're like, dead picked it up and sorry to that R. small R. town <laughs> whose water supply it went into yeah they're like oh look at this a little starlight uh perfume and then they're dead <laughs> Uh, Homelander needs to die, she says, whatever it takes. Starlight is pissed, uh, but then Soldier Boy shows up and they all make everybody get in the safe. At Vought, the Deep, A-Train, and Ashley are listening to Starlight's voicemail. The Deep is like, uh, should we uh, should we do like an analysis to make sure it's really her? Uh, and also, should we evacuate? And Homelander's like, no, we stay in project strength. When the Deep lays out his plan to use Noir as bait uh, for Soldier Boy, Homelander drops Noir's head, <laughs> just the like, helmet, uh... I think, on the table, and then uh, proceeds to tear into his teammates for being not up to the standards of Homelander. He's like, you guys fucking suck. He decides to teach them a lesson. He's like, Deep, uh, if if uh, he wants to help, uh, here's what you do. And he whispers in his ear, and whatever it was he said was clearly bad because the Deep very reluctantly agrees to do whatever he says. Then he tells Ashley, take off your wig. Here we learn that Ashley has, has like a, a no hair. I'm is, very interested in this because like, I can't, I can't help but think, look, we have a character here, Soldier Boy, who's radioactive, right? Right. That's very Dr. Manhattan to then have yeah. somebody who's in that realm losing their hair, maybe being sick, maybe having cancer. I think that that is going to become... He does it to to shame her because he's to cool, because yeah. he's misogynistic, but I think it is going to lead to a bigger... I've been, and we've been waiting. We've been waiting for now three seasons for the turn from Ashley, and mm-hmm. it feels like maybe yeah. it's in sight, but we're not quite clear if it is. And then finally, A Train is like, "How dare you kill uh, Popclaw? Remember when you did that back in season one of Fellow Soup?" And then he says, "Noir was worth more than all of you put together." Uh, it's, uh, and what was the thing that uh, Homelander whispered to the Deep? It was for the Deep to kill Lamar Bishop, a.k.a. Dakota Bob's uh, deep, presumptive vice presidential candidate. Who uh, And he does him by drowning him in his pool. By, I guess, wading in the pool, which is the weirdest <laughs> way to do it. It's the most deep way, though, I have <laughs> to say. Like, he had to, like, sit at the bottom like he was because he can breathe underwater, yeah. you know, had to show off. 
he has really had truly what an arc this season. What an arc from that what guy. What an arc. Uh, Starlight uh, punches our friend's way out of the safe. Uh, they, of course, need more nerve gas, and Frenchie figures it out. He's like, hey, guess what? There is a lab that has everything we need. Uh, it's in Vaught Tower. Okay. So <laughs> cool. they come up with a plan. Frenchie will cook up the nerve agent while everybody else fights Homelander and Soldier Boy. Uh, and on the way out the door, Huey finds, like, under the couch, <laughs> another a spare vial of some of that temporary V. Butcher, Maeve, and Soldier Boy find Homelander watching old World War II footage of Soldier Boy. Oh, Dad. Homelander uh, then tells everybody that Noir, is dwe- that Noir is dead. And then he is just like, hey, Dad, can we just, like, reconnect? Can we just, like, team up? Like, no one could stop us if we team up. Like... Uh, and then Butcher, alarmed again at this, is like, Hi, this is your son. Don't lose focus, okay? You didn't raise him. Uh, then Homelander brings out Ryan. It's a very <laughs> tough moment. Terrible, uh, terrible dad very, already. Very Just terrible. really bad dad. He's, he's adding to the uh, annuals, annuals of bad dads. Homelander wants them to be one big, weird, murderous, genocidal, fascist superhero family. And Soldier Boy, luckily, weirdly luckily, Soldier Boy is a complete piece of shit. And much like Homelander is is triggered by any kind of vulnerability or weakness. This is the toxic masculinity Mm -hmm, of which you mm -hmm. spoke, right? The way that society imprints on men to treat weakness or any kind of show of vulnerability mm-hmm. is attack it. And yeah. this is what Soldier Boy does in this moment. He's like, you're such a fucking sniveling pussy star for attention. And then they fight. Yeah. Which, <laughs> very, again, very, very lucky for Butcher and our heroes that Soldier Boy is so toxic. Because if not, yeah, they might have it, teamed up it, and become a family and killed everybody. It's really interesting as well because, like, we've had this journey for Huey this season with the Temp V where he is essentially living out his toxic masculinity fantasies where suddenly he's able to be the strong man and the man who yeah. can do all the things that his girlfriend can't do. And, and he's seeing this kind of beautiful... To him, this kind of like, you know, um, Garden of Ambrosia where he can be yeah. everything he's always been told he can be. But at the same time, he's been hanging around with Soldier Boy, who's just an absolute piece of shit. And like, there's a line <laughs> where he was like, everything you say is gross. And I'm like, please, son, like he, this is the lesson. Like, don't, this is what you are. This is the end game. You know, we were talking today before on Prepo about end games. Like, where do you end up? If you follow that path, that is the ultimate version of it. So yeah. Also, I just have to say Jensen Ackles. He was ready for this role. He oh is God. just like, he is so happy to not he be on primetime ex- TV doing he on the exploded. CW. He's he no, just he has exploded from mad. the soap opera world, from the CW world, and he is just fucking doing it, man. He I is love it. He's great. so good. He is so good in this role. Uh, it, it's almost like this is going to be, this is not quite the comparison, but kind of. It reminds me of the first time I saw John Hamm in Mad Men where I was like, where the fuck is this guy? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Where, no, no. Do, do they just have you. like I handsome, do they just have like handsome at good actors like in a warehouse somewhere? Where the fuck yeah, is this guy? Ready to I do never some like absolutely yeah. deep 
like gut wrenching acting, and Jensen just like commits so deeply, and so he makes hard. the character so unlikable, which is his power as an actor. You're but not also watching like, Jensen being unlikable. You're watching this un. You're watching. I mean, this is it's the most basic take, right? But this is the truth. You are basically watching like a. This is what it would be like if Captain America existed. It absolutely, is. It absolutely and, is. And the thing that makes it not. Obviously, again, this is it's not a subtle performance. But the thing that I love about what Ackles does here is he makes Soldier Boy so like marinated in his Mm -hmm. own like uh, uh, his own like self-hatred of him, uh, you know, like his own toxic self-hatred and PTSD is this intense stew that he just can't deal with yeah in any other way other than smoking a lot of weed and drinking yeah. a lot of whiskey and then occasionally li- literally blowing up in a well, nuclear I was explosion say, so that i think is like the realest shit right is not just this notion of self-medication which for a lot of people can be the only way that you can treat yourself but also this is a great example of the boys doing the most literal version of an analogy yeah. The notion of his PTSD is that when he gets triggered, he literally explodes. Yeah, he It's a literal explodes. explosion. Again, it's not again, a not violent subtle, explosion. It's not but, subtle, but it works. And it's really, it's really especially it's because they even have like a Geiger counter to measure how radioactive he is to see if he's going to go off. But no one at any point does a good job of like trying to comfort him or stop it. It's yeah. more like even they just see him as a weapon. It's very interesting stuff. Ryan gets knocked out. And Bad uh, and then uh, Homelander goes to tend to him. So our friends grab him and Soldier Boy lines him up to, to do the uh, hero gasm on him and depower him. But then uh, Butcher is like, Ryan's going to get zapped too. And he feels bad about it. So now it's Butcher versus Soldier Boy and Maeve versus Homelander with Starlight and MM thrown in some, for some good measure. And we get some truly like movie level superhero yeah. action. It's yeah. great. It's like... It's just great superhero action. Great, great, great superhero action, which this show has delivered all absolute season. Now, I will say, small note, I think there's a great, like, device that's at play here, and and you see it a lot in suspense movies, uh, suspense books, where it's like, uh, it's like every time our heroes get the thing that they want in their grasp, it gets pulled away. It gets pulled away. It gets pulled away. Yeah. I will say it's a little... It it flirted with a little too much... Like, just blast Homelander already. Like, it, it was a little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Walking Dead thing. Why, there was, yeah, yeah, moment, it was a little The Walking Dead thing. There's a little, there's a little moment earlier this season as well where Soldier Boy and uh, Butcher and Huey do get to the point where they could have just killed him, but Butchie and Hugh, Butcher and Huey having a little like, you go, no, you go. And I'm like, yeah. babe, just kill him. Just, just kill him. Just kill him, babe, so there, please. There's, there's lots of just kill him, babe moments. That is an absolutely what? minor, it's very it's, minor. It's, but like, I it's will, one of those I things where you're like, I love, you're like, I love the characters, so I'm okay with chilling yeah. with them, but also just kill him. Yeah, I, I Obi-Wan I and just Anakin all yeah, over very, again. 
I just want to acknowledge that. Um, Huey gets on the PA. He's in the security room and he uh, calls for an evacuation. So everybody's uh, all the civilians are leaving. Meanwhile, uh, Frenchie is cooking up the nerve agent as Kamiko to the t- dancing to the tune of Maniac from Flashdance. Frenchie finishes making the nerve agent, but then he gets shot in the ankle. Upstairs. Homelander pops out Maeve's eye. Terrible. Soldier Boy uh, gets the best of Butcher, Kamiko, and M.M. In the security room, Huey sees this. He sees the danger. He's about to take the vial of V. But instead, he turns up the lights in the studio to their highest level. Starlight gets super, super powered up to levels we have never seen before. And she hits Soldier Boy with all that she has. Doesn't knock him out, but it stuns him, and it's a big hit. Kamiko and Starlight hold him as uh, Mother's Milk slips that Novichuk inhaler over Soldier Boy's mouth. He says, this is for my family. He's breathing it in, but Soldier Boy is super pissed. He's powering up to blast off, and then Maeve, after stabbing Homelander in the ear, sees all of this and very, very, very regretfully understands that she has to be the hero now. She has to do something. So she's like, Fuck, I guess I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do it. I gotta be Wonder Woman. She tackles Soldier Boy clear of the building, and Soldier Boy detonates in the air, wrecking the outside of Vought, but it's fine, and killing Maeve, we think, but everyone else is okay. Including Homelander. Fuck, this guy is still up and going. This fucking guy. I can't believe this guy is under. He's not even scratched. He's a a Terminator. He's got Jason Voorhees powers at this point. He did take like a letter opener to the neck, but like this guy is still going. He confronts Butcher, who's like, Ryan, come here. But Ryan is like, Dad, let's go. And he means <laughs> Homelander, unfortunately. He means Homelander. He means Homelander. Uh, but, uh, Ryan, don't go with him. He's a, he's a cunt, isn't he? But no, Ryan definitely wants to go with Homelander, and then they just leave. And Butcher's brain then starts bleeding black shit, and he passes Sorry. out. Fast forward. We watch a Vought news piece on uh, on Maeve, R.I.P. Maeve. Uh, the whole world is turning out uh, to, to celebrate the life of Maeve. Butcher in the hospital learns that the V damage is terminal and he has maybe 18 months. M.M. tells Janine about his and his family's past, including the deaths of many of the family at the hands of Soldier Boy. He tells her how he's fighting, just like her granddad did, to get justice. We learn that Maeve is alive. Fantastic. She lost her eye. I was very, very happy about this. She lost her eye. Yes, she did lose her powers also, but she survived. And now she's just going to lay low on a farm somewhere with Elena. They're going to go off. They're going to live a great life. Over at Vought, Ashley and uh, Annika uh, see the security footage that Maeve survived. They see MM and the rest like picking her up and putting her in the van and spearing her away on the security camera. And Ashley's like, erase that shit. They erase it immediately. The ton. Is it coming? That's is it the coming? Thing. They erase it. Is that is she sick of it? Grace Mallory back in power uh, oversees the return of her former teammate Soldier Boy, uh, his body to stasis containment. Sleep well, dear Prince Soldier Boy. The Deep watches Cassandra, his ex, on TV announcing the 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 very fast publication of her tell-all. She had that book ready, baby. I guess she must have been right. You're absolutely right. She was was writing it while she was with him. Of her new tell-all, In Too Deep, My Journey to Freedom, the twos (laughs) being the number twos, of course, about her leaving a toxic relationship with her squid uh, uh, fucking soup ex-boyfriend, The Deep. 
as the Flatiron Starlight uh, throws her Starlight costume away, uh, doesn't double bag it and tie and double knot it as she as as MM, who is OCD about cleanliness, would wish her to do. But of course, they're welcoming her to the boys as a wonderful. She is part of the team now. But then, newsflash: the TV is announcing that. Guess who? Victoria Newman is replacing Lamar as Dakota Bob's new vice presidential candidate. That's right. Victoria Newman, who can pop people's skulls, though no one knows it. It will now be one popped skull away from the <laughs> highest <laughs> the highest uh, uh, throne of power in the in the land. That bitch definitely has got to go elsewhere. Homelander introduces Ryan to his and Stormfront's right wing supporters at the very the protest that seems to be always going on outside Vaught. Uh, when the, when a counter protester throws a drink at Ryan, Homelander just lasers the guy's head off in the in the broad daylight in front of everybody. Yeah. And Janine's stepdad is there and he's like, I love it. And then Ryan yeah. smiles and season is over. Wow, yeah. what a wow. season it's of like, voice. If you if you didn't know who Homelander is meant to be, they made the I could shoot someone in the street and people would still vote yes. for me. They made it text It's right it. there, baby. He literally blows up a guy's head and Todd and everyone else is like, yeah, this is great. Love that. Hey, I, I, think, I think the Ryan thing is a really good choice because it's just realistic. That's what yeah. happens when your dad is a fascist. You're probably going to become a fascist. And if you grow out of it, it will be later. And I think that there was a moment, I, I'm a softie in some ways, even though I love like action and stuff. So there was a moment at the end of season two where I loved the idea of Butcher being there for Ryan and that being a way of him showing his love for Becca. But the reality was he was shit to Becca. He was shit, he was to, shit Ryan. to Ryan. He basically absolutely. abandoned Ryan and allowed Homeland As to Ryan step in. screamed, don't leave. And yeah, then Butcher and, and was then like, I'm leaving. He's like, bye. And he left her with Grace and then he opened up this space for, for Homelander. So I think it'll be really interesting. I think they'll, it, we haven't really seen a soup with a sidekick yet. So I'm... Yeah. Very excited to see the the Robin, Batman, Homelander, Ryan thing that they'll obviously do next season. Can't wait for uh, season four coming next year. Miss Marvel finale episode six, No Normal, teleplay by Will Dunn, A.C. Bradley, and Matthew Chauncey. Story by Will Dunn, directed by Adil and Bilal. We open on Jersey City. Agents Deaver and Barry of the Department of Damage Control are examining the wreckage outside the Circle K, uh, Bruno's apartment, obviously above that. Uh, this is what happens when the wrong people get powers, Deaver says. It's absolutely. Is, who's she talking absolutely, about? Who absolutely, is she talking about? Absolutely letting Say it us with know, your chest, babe. Absolutely letting us know that the Department of Damage Control is going to be uh, a part of the Sentinel program. Eventually, all of these people who very, very clearly don't like yeah, Howard Fox. Or at least are, she is. She is for sure. And well, listen, I think what they were signaling two episodes ago when the clandestines were uh, were being put in prison, but then the guards just started being really physical and 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 uh, abusive towards them is letting us know that this is an entire this department is staffed with people who feel this way. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we're headed that way. I think that that I think this episode is is really interesting in that way because we we see a, a distinct extremism from Sadie Diva, yes. which is not surprising because she's been going that way. But then our other DODC agent who we met in No Way Home, he takes a turn against that. And I'm very yeah. interested to see if we'll get some kind of split. Yeah, I, I think that that is 
Well, we'll get there, but I think that that is going to happen. Notably, Deaver says that she wants whoever this powered person is that they haven't caught, but they're looking for. They, she wants him brought in and studied. Sounds like the Sentinel program to me, <laughs> it, baby. It really does. Meanwhile, Bruno and, and uh, Kamran are on the path train. They're headed for Manhattan. The plan is to transfer there and then to head upstate, which I'll just say in a in an episode filled with Easter eggs about mutants and the X-Men heading upstate felt like it means something. Also, I mean, listen, there's a teenager who can't control his powers and he's thinking about heading upstate. That just is like an X. That's so many X-Men. And I'll tell you this. So, look, watch this episode with this in mind. Compare it to the other episodes. Not only is the camera moment and that's like part of the story. We have Agent Diva starting talking about experimenting on people. That screams Weapon X. It screams that they could need genetics for the drones that will inevitably become the Sentinels, as Jason so rightly pointed out last week. And the other thing is, this looks different. This episode opens with these huge sweeping shots of the New York skyline and these towering images of the Statue of Liberty and then we go swiftly onto the train and it's all very urban. It looks like X- it looks like a Zero's X-Men movie. It evokes it re- that exact thing. It's letting you know where you are. It's it's placing you in the mindset of that and that continues throughout this episode not just thematically but also like literally as we'll get into. Back at the Khan household, uh, Kamala tells her family that she has superpowers. She is the superhero. The family reaction is very proud and very it. positive, which is wonderful. Although, and and uh, fairly so, and understandably so, Muniba and Yusuf are worried about the danger inherent in mm-hmm. a superhero life. Uh, Nakia calls. Kamala learns about the destruction of the Circle K. Uh, and th- that Bruno is missing. Uh, she rushes upstairs trying to call Bruno. She's in a panic, but then Muniba enters and Rosie prediction comes true. Bum, Guess bum, what, bum. baby? <laughs> oh. Her mom made it. Her mom made her a suit. Oh, it's so gorgeous. Take a, and, take a victory lap, uh, I mean, Rosie Knight. We're just, this is our most predictive this series is our, <laughs> in one project. Like, yeah, it really and, is. and the thing I love about this is they made the suit so narratively intertwined with the yeah. show and what was important about the show and what worked about the show, an intergenerational story about family acceptance. It also does something that contradicts one of my worst, but also I understand most necessary tropes in superhero comics. For a long time, I felt like over this hundred year history of superheroes, so much of what the heroes and the people that we look up to do is predicated on lying. They have to lie about their secret right. identity. They have to put their family. Yeah. Spider-Man, how many times is Aunt May in the hospital? Because of him and his secret identity. You know, Batman, uh, even Clark Kent. Superman's had that problem at times. Like, But what I love about this is that contradicts this and in a way that it's not only, oh, my family are know about it, but they're proud of me and they're actually co-conspirators. And her mum made her this gorgeous costume, classic superhero trope as well. This costume looks too legit. I've seen, well, Maniba is a great it, it, seamstress, but like... This is here's like the other thing, and, and a stock level costume. Not to keep, not to, not to bring it back to the X Men as we're going to do multiple. Oh, times we're going to bring the course it. Back. It's going to be X Men. Like, this is our dream. A- acceptance, acceptance, and community is that's the key to an X Men mutant story, yep. and that's what this 
whole show and in and in particular this episode is about I, is I, yeah. we are co-conspirators because we're a community. I totally agree. And also something that I think they did really cheekily here that I'd love to know um, if it was purposeful as well. Because I feel like this whole episode, they basically got to write an X-Men story, which is really fun. But they also, the whole show is about found family, but that's not just family who isn't your family. It's about like finding your family again, which right. I think is really cheeky because found family is the heart of why we all love the X-Men so much. So there's just so much good stuff here. I love that the costume now includes the red dagger scarf. Yeah, you know, that, that kind of hint about the connection between the Red Dagger and the clandestine and a collaboration in their future, which we'll see more of later this episode. I I needed, I, I love predictions, but this, if Maniba, after them showing she's a brilliant seamstress, showing her punky roots and all that, if she hadn't have made that costume, I would have been actually pissed. <laughs> Usually I'm like, my predictions are wrong, I don't care. But this one meant a lot. And the moment is so well delivered. The actress who plays Maniba is so spectacular. And obviously, Iman Vellani is just so wonderful. So they just, that delivered. And the costume is stunning. Jamie McKelvey's brilliant costume design just brought to life on screen. Uh, Bruno and Kamran arrive at the mosque. Naki's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and they're like, mosques are supposed to be places of refuge. And then one of the funniest lines of the entire show, this is a mosque in America. <laughs> <laughs> Very She's funny. Like, no. Uh, do you don't understand that this will not be respected as a place of refuge? Nakia then suggests that they head to the high school because it's Saturday. No one's going to be there. Damage control and Agent Deaver enter the mosque and they're looking for that high level threat. That is Kamran. Sheikh Abdullah stands up for his flock ably, but of course, Deaver and her goons are going to search anyway. The Sheik, while that's going on, is already escorting Bruno and Kamran out the back door to an alley where Kamala finds him. No time for catch-ups, however. I just want to say a really important moment there, which is where we get another X-Men moment where Sheikh Abdullah says, you know, um, just oh, because yes. he's being peaceful. He's, he's he's meeting them as friends. He offers them cookies. Agent Diva once again doesn't take yeah. off her shoes. Disrespectful racist bitch. Like, she is just the worst. And But he still comes to her with cookies. He comes to her with friendship. And, you know, the kids want to know why. And he says, just because they make you their enemy... It doesn't mean you have to make them yours. That's your Charles Xavier moment, right? That there. is it's your. The that choice. is absolutely. Just because they hate and fear us doesn't mean we shouldn't protect them. Doesn't mean we shouldn't come with peace. That I mean, is. That was when I realized I was like, oh, this is this is textual. X-Men. They really are. This is textual. They're going X-Men. for it. And it is early X Men too, because I will. Mm-hmm. One thing that I think is in the mid two thousands to now that X Men stories have done really well is. Is is radicalized in a way that felt earned. We can yes. get into this later yes. when we talk about the X Men. But yeah. at a certain point, when you've been engaging with the Charles Xavier philosophy for that long, and all you are <laughs> met, and all you are met with is gen, literal genocide, like twenty constant million dead genocide. on Genosha, constant. on Genosha, constant genocide. You have to ask: At what point is it enough? We're not there yet, but it's. Uh, I love what Sheikh Abdullah said there, and thank you for bringing that up. Okay, Kamala finds Bruno and Kamran in the alley, and they all get away just before the sirens find them. Kamala calls Kareem. It's like, listen, I have a friend. He is a clandestine. I'm sorry about that. I know you don't like them, but we gotta. I have to get him out of here. And he's like, okay, I know someone who can get him out. Get him to the harbor at midnight. Very mysterious, but mm-hmm. hello. Um, Kareem's like got more. some secret connections. Like, yeah, who's, at the, who's know, at the harbor? 
we need to know more about this. Our friends then break into the school where uh, they meet Nakia, who's definitely pissed because Kamala didn't tell her about the powers and the bangle and stuff. Kamala apologizes, but there's no time to apologize because damage control is outside. Pause here. I think damage control, how are they following him? How do, yeah. how are they one step behind uh, Kamran all the time? I think they've developed as the Sentinels in the comics, This they have this technology. They have developed somehow... Uh, a way to target onto a power signature and to follow it. It's obviously at very yeah. early days. It's not super refined, but they've figured it's, out a way to do it. I agree. It's essentially in the MCU world, right? There is only so much fantastical stuff and we're getting a lot more into it. But I definitely think you could do something like power signatures, heat signatures. There's a radioactivity. Yeah, there's a waves a of power. It's not genetic mutation yet that's not what they're sensing but they are sensing powered stuff and i also just want to say like when yeah the the high choosing the high school that is another x-men moment you it's end up in a X-Men. school yeah. and and you know that is something where as we'll see that it there is no way that it cannot evoke especially the x-men comics but especially those zeros x-men movies where the dodc are coming through these halls so you've got these military people in these school halls yeah. it feels like an x-men movie they they know what they're doing and there's a great moment where as they're even prepping, the way even the way they're geared up yeah like exactly. well, we'll get we'll yeah, yeah, get yeah. to this but like even the way they're geared up, you're absolutely right. This is X2, X-Men United. Exactly, like- <laughs> exactly. It totally is. They have, a, they have a moment that comes up, like, just in, in one minute, which we which is just so throwaway, is, like, they, um, what are they using to, to prepare for this fight, right, in the high school? And they choose softballs. And an X-Men playing softball is, like, oh, yeah, one of the a, most beloved tropes. It's an t- absolute touchdown. Technically, they, in the Claremont stuff, you know, it's baseball, and throughout comics, it kind of has changed between the two. But you know that that was when I was like, oh, okay, they know no. I was like, they're not doing Easter yeah, yeah, eggs. They, this they, is like, yeah, yeah. This is, you're literally using softballs in your plan. Like, this is a thing that you're doing, and you know that you're essentially letting these kids, Bruno, Nakia, you know, Cameron soon to be joined by Kamala's brother. You're letting them have their X Men moment, yep. and I just love that. Kamala tries to get Bruno and, and Nakia to leave, uh, but before they can even talk about that, Zoe shows up. She's like, "I was in the theater filming TikToks because of the lighting, babe. Get a ring light. <laughs> ring light. They're please. very, very cheap." She wants to be a part of this big fight mission, and you know what? Uh, why not? Sure. And actually, she has an important role to play. Everyone is staying put, including Kamala's brother Amir, who shows up. And so it's time for the big plan. And here it is. Distract damage control so Kamran can get to safety. Meanwhile, Zoe will leverage her social media following to put out a call to action to the community to get eyes here so people can see what's happening. Mm -hmm. So damage control can't just go like full, like kill the mutants or capture the mutants so they can, well, capture the powered people. We'll just call it enhanced individuals, enhanced individuals so that they can study them. By the way, you know, just want to mention, love the use of the, uh, the circular Star Wars, a new hope stun Ray. That's what a stun. (laughs) You know, established in 1977. This is what the stun looks like. It's that little hollow smoke ring circle that goes out and hits people. Okay. Um, 
outside. Deaver is on the phone with Agent Cleary. Damage control is is ready for a siege. They're outside the school. They're they're getting ready to charge in, and Cleary is like, "Are you fucking crazy? You're like, what's wrong a- with you? Yeah, you're gonna attack." Kids in a school, don't do this. Like, st- stand down absolutely right now. I want to hear you say it. And Deaver's like, yep, stand again. You got it. Hangs up and goes, nope. Call additional units. We're going in. Uh, now, our heroes, fr- our friends, their plan works. There's only a few hiccups. Uh, w- one hiccup is Kamala and Kamran almost kiss and then Bruno walks in. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Had to be done. X-Men. Love triangles are key to the X Men. By the way, love triangle. (laughs) Gotta have that love triangle. Love a love a a love triangle between enhanced individuals. and then the other little wrinkle is Kamran figures out that his mom is dead and that uh, and that Kamala has been hiding this from him. And then naturally, because he learns this, he's mm-hmm. already not in control of his powers. But then he just takes all the safeguards off. And we it's kind of cool because we get to see what Kamran could really do. He pulls all the lockers down on the damage control goons. But and then. He steps out of the uh, uh, the high school doors and faces down damage control. This is Magneto at the police station in yeah. the first X-Men movie. Exactly. It like 100% is. That's what it is. And and also he has his, this is his Magneto moment, you know. And, yeah. and Zoe has, Zoe and has it goes a lot people. differently because he's, yeah. not as, he's not as ready he's for it. He's not that but far yeah, gone, right? But yeah. like. And Zoe's called all these people via her social media, and they're all outside watching. Very Spider-Man two on the train, right? Yeah. The, the public is here. The public is in support. But for Cameron, it's too heartbreaking. And and it's very interesting yeah. because they get to have Kamala and Cameron get to have this Eric and Charles moment. It is a very Eric. Where it is like, that. Kamala realizes that what Cameron needs, she cannot give him. But what she can do is give him a chance to leave. This is not the right choice. Don't become this danger. Don't become the thing that they want you to be. And if you can't do that, just go. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. And I was like, wow, it's Charles Narek, baby. It is in in miniature. (laughs) It is Charles Narek. So uh, Cam faces down damage control. Kamala uh, protects him. Um, This is all witnessed by the crowds who Zoe called. Kamala then like is able. She has just been practicing enough, working at it enough, Mm -hmm. has hit that emotional level and intellectual level. And physical level where she's she unlocks like the final level of her powers and we can see everything she can do. She's got the two embiggened hands. She's punching cumvies across the fucking She's giant manning. She's giant manning. She's like bullets are bouncing off her. She's catching the Humvee that uh, that Kamran accidentally threw at uh, like the entire community. She saves all their lives. And then as you said, they have that Eric and Charles moment. She puts this like shield of light around them and then they have it out they have that talk and and she is like fine punches a hole in in the ground is like just crawl through there escape to the harbor go um damage control tries to arrest kamala but the entire neighborhood stands in between them no, including the cops they de-arrest which is crazy her. they de-arrest her. they de-arrest her and then kamala escapes um Cleary calls Deaver and he is fucking heated. He relieves her of <laughs> command. The question is, well, let's just finish this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so close. We're so close. We're so close. He relieves her of command. Later, uh, 
Uh, all of Jersey City is buzzing about the historic events. They all got to witness it. And and not only that, but they have their very own superhero who's protecting the area as Spider-Man does uh, Manhattan, as Daredevil does Hell's Kitchen. This is so great. They got their own superhero. Kamala's in her uh, in her room, posing in her suit as one would naturally do if one was a superhero. Uh, she talks to her dad. Uh, and they talk about uh, just life and her journey. And he says, you know what Kamala means? It means, it kind of means Marvel, sort of. You're like our Miss Marvel and the name is coined. It's a wonderful moment. Love that. Meanwhile, uh, Cam makes it to Karachi where Kareem gives him a little head nod and takes him in. And then we fast forward one week later, Bruno and Nakia pull up in uh, Kamran's whip, his sports car, which have to say, who is, Who's paying the insurance? There's a lot of questions about that. Can you just keep doing, can you just keep driving this car? I understand. Did he sign over the title and everything? Anyway, I'm not going to worry about it. Bruno has big news. He has been studying Kamala's biological makeup and also her powers. And he says, you know what? Your genes are a little different. It's almost like, like you've undergone a mutation. Man, the fact that they threw that in there, it almost felt too much, but it honestly also they wanted, not They enough. had to do it because the truth yeah, is- Yeah, they like, had to tell we've you. Heard, we've heard the term mutation in the MCU yeah. before, and you're like, ooh, ooh. But this one, they were like, X-Men. They yes. were like, right now, the plan, will we see it for scene? Who knows? But the plan right now, she is a mutant. This is X-Men. She is an X-Men style mutant. And, uh, and you that is how powerful that theme is, that you can put that there and everyone's like, oh shit, she's an X, like this is X-Men. The X-Men are in the MCU and you started it here. As old King Mike on Instagram DM'd me, uh, he DM'd me, <laughs> he DM'd me that the meme picture of the guy who was, you know, outside his haters funeral and he said... <laughs> Uh, how the X-Men dressed as they watched the final nail go in the Inhumans coffin. Yes, it is true irony that the character who in the comics was created because Marvel was looking for a way to have X-Men that they owned as their own IP to put in the movies mm -hmm. and, and, and it was going to be the Inhumans to now have that character in the in the TV and film property side now be revealed to be a mutant is just crazy unbelievable. ironic. Unbelievable. unbelievable shit. It's especially because like Kamala, everyone's assumption was she just was a mutant because that is how right. people in the comics get their powers. But then it ended up being that she got her powers through terogenesis. She made yeah. her an inhuman, the most famous inhuman arguably ever, honestly, and the most well-known because of how su successful the comic was. The very funny thing is it put her in this very hilarious group of characters like Spider-Man, like Falcon, where it's like they were almost a mutant, but then it's revealed that they weren't. <laughs> yeah. Or at times they almost made them mutants. So this feels very full circle. Uh, Falcon's and still talking to those birds. That's you what know? I'm saying. In the comics, they never really, they never really handled it. Like, I want to know, is that his yeah. secondary mutation? So I have a, I have a theory. At the yeah. moment. Well, no, wait, let's go to no, the no, stinger. No, no, no. Let's do the no, no, stinger. No, no. Oh, oh yeah, okay, 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 okay. Let's go through the stinger and then we and then we okay. can uh, dive into it. So, stinger. Kamala's in her bedroom when the bangle starts acting weird. She's suddenly thrown through her closet door, crashing into the closet. And then when she comes out, it's not Kamala, it's Carol Danvers. They have switched places 
in the universe somehow, and we can only assume that Kamala is somewhere where Carol just was. What is going on? And then we're done. Uh, and then it says uh, Miss Marvel will appear, uh, will uh, be back again in the Marvels. Okay, let's talk about everything. First of all, let's just say we were right. Yeah, we were right. We were right about uh, we, we were right about right. the costumes. We were right we about were right the about mutants. Mut- we were right we're, about the stinger, I, which yes, means let's talk that, about the stinger. Okay, okay, I'll explain the stinger. So, so this is very funny because I think it is a very interesting <laughs> choice because I think for maybe fifty or sixty percent of people who watched it, they were like, "Oh, maybe Kamala shapeshifted into Carol. That's right. her comic book powers." They were like, "Maybe um, that was weird. Why did it happen?" But if you are a comics reader of a certain age or or you have read a lot of old comic books, you were immediately like, oh, my God, they just Rick Jones stuff. They now did who, Rick Jones. Now who, who is, is Rick, Rick Jones? Jones? Who is Rick Jones? You might ask. Rick Jones is like the Marvel's perennial sidekick. He is very much maligned. He began as a Hulk sidekick. He's been a sidekick to Captain America where he was essentially the, trolling right. in Captain the, America it, by pretending well, in, to be Bucky. True. Let's just say that in the comics, so the origin story of Rick Jones is the reason that Bruce Banner is the Hulk is because Rick Jones is a fucking moron. Yep. And he wandered into wandered into like a gamma bomb uh, experiment site and was just like, hey. And so Bruce Banner had to run out and like tackle him into like a, a ditch so he wouldn't get irradiated. And that's how Bruce Banner got irradiated and turned into the and fucking And at Hulk. some point someone was like, oh yeah, we should like make him like a superhero. He's going right, to form right. this team, the Teen Brigade. You know, he's going <laughs> to be our accessible kid hero. And, um, and kind of throughout comics, he's been, he's been in that role for many Many characters, beginning he's with been the Hulk. A superhero. He's been a superhero. He's been he was a bomb. He the... was a rock star. Yeah, he he's was, al- he's... and he's always just a really generic dude. That's like yeah, the he's... funniest thing. And um, it's like he is just a perennial that guy. In yes. London, we would call him a sideman. Yeah, it's like so. It's like it's really funny. But the reason he is relevant here is that in the original Captain Marvel comics, Marvel. Marvel uh, was given the Negabands, which we were right. We did predict that the Negabands may be, the bangles may be a representation of them. Remember, we saw the bangle first come off a blue-skinned arm, which implies they were Kree. Captain Marvel was given the Negabands. When he and Rick Jones wore the Negabands, they could switch places. Yes. Rick Jones essentially became Captain Marvel's Earth alter ego. And when he tapped the Negabands, Captain Marvel would take his place. Now, whenever one of them was not on Earth, the other one was stuck, Negabands, in the negative zone. It is very interesting to then see that here because that is essentially what we just saw happen to Kamala. The big question is, as we have briefly mentioned before, in Marvel, we have not met the negative zone. The negative zone is an important Fantastic Four location. There are a lot of connections that could be made there. What we have met is the quantum realm. And there is a version, a later version of the bands that are the quantum bands. So which one is it going to be? That's kind of the big question, but that's that's the Rick Jonesiness of it all. And that is also... Let me add another... Well, before we go there, let me add another wrinkle to this. Another X-Men style wrinkle in the comics. Uh, Rogue, famous X-Men, whose, mm-hmm. uh, uh, whose power is that she touches someone and then she takes 
their uh, memories. And if she touches a powered, if she touches a mutant, takes their powers. she steals their powers for a time. And for a time, because she had come into contact with Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, uh, Captain Marvel's psyche became embedded in Rogue yep. and would occasionally come out at different times. And, and it would be Carol Danvers would be like, what, where am I? What, what body man? What was this? Are they, are they not just Rick Jonesing Kamala, but are they roguing Kamala? I'm are they roguing, to... are they roguing Kamala and Captain Marvel? I'm trying to work out, like, Saul just put Freaky Friday. So I'm basically saying that like, I'm trying to work out what, the purpose of this choice is it definitely yes. seems like it's setting up the marvels right C- carol has to find where this young girl went missing or get back right. to where she was so she enlists monica and obviously they're gonna have to get over that beef yeah. that monica understandably has with her for like constantly just breezing on earth but what i think is really interesting is we definitely know one thing carol was off Earth and nobody knew where she was. That is a recurring talking point in this season where people are yeah. like, where's Captain Marvel? Why does nobody know? We assumed she was just being her usual off in the universe, leaving everyone by themselves self. But obviously she was trapped in this place and in some way it's connected to the band or the band called Carol back because of her connection to the Cree. It is unbelievable. I, I've always, ever since they did introduce carol into the mcu i've wanted them to do the rogue stuff i hope that if it happens that is a another addition of rogue coming in maybe they need rogue to separate the two of them or something but seeing as we only have one bangle i think the marvels is going to continue our artifact trend and we're going to have to see carol seeking out that other bangle to kind of get control of this. Now, what I really want to know, because this could be very fun, I have to say, yeah. this, I'm hoping whatever the Marvels is, is a little bit of a recontextualization of Captain Marvel in the way they did with Thor and with Doctor Strange. Yeah. Because I loved this end with Brie Larson. There was so much more humor in it than Carol's been allowed to have before. And it was very kind of wacky and her costume was badass. So I would, yeah, I'd be very happy to see where this is going to go. And I really want to know if Carol and Kamala will be able to communicate because Rick James Jones and Captain Marvel, they can communicate when one of them is in the negative zone. So it will be really fun to see if that's something they bring in. And also another thing, this is kind of more serious narrative, but like, I wonder if because now Carol and Kamala are so connected, I wonder if they'll follow the comic book arc that they took where Kamala comes to that realization that Carol is not necessarily the hero on a pedestal right. that she right. always You get to know somebody and it's different. Yeah, there's a different... Yeah. I mean, listen, Carol is... Carol... Carol in the comics has taken the side that I would prefer her not to take... I can multiple ...multiple times across the history of the Marvel. She's on the wrong side of both civil wars. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I love her, but she... she She's a cop. She's a space cop. She's a space cop. She's a space cop. I don't want to see who she votes for. Let's just put it that way with Carol, who, again, I love. Uh, um, Let's talk about, uh, you know what? We've talked so many times about how how are they going to bring the X-Men? How are they going to do it? First of all, let's just say that what this shows us and what WandaVision showed us as well is that mutants are here. Whatever, however they do it. They've already laid the groundwork for mutants are already here. Now, what we didn't know 
And what we said in the past was the super important track to be laid to eventually introduce these mutants is we need to get to a place where powered people are hated and feared or else why even have the X-Men? They're yeah. just like superheroes like every we've we're getting there now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We're st- the way that Deaver acts, the way that exactly. da- Department, which, by the way, is hilarious because Department of Damage Control is just like the yeah. fucking Keystone cops in the <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, no, so this is this is the thing I'm really interested in. So I think there's two routes that Diva could go. I think that we will either see her essentially go to Sword and steal some kind of technology from DODC and take it there and create what the Sentinels are. Because we saw the big size mechs. We saw something like that. So I feel like there could that could happen. Or a really interesting route, which is another incredibly important thing to have in an X-Men story. I wonder if she doesn't necessarily continue her route as a agent, but she becomes the X-Men hate the the pat the enhanced individual hating politician. That's such a oh, key like part that. of the X-Men yeah. lore. And I could definitely see her running on a platform. It's very easy to stoke mass violence and mass fear and mass confusion when you have a huge political platform. So I think that could be another route where we go on this escalated version. And then once she is in power, she can take over DODC or she can create an even more the way, extreme version. What a great platform for armor wars for roadie oh. to, to be like they're using my friend's technology to hunt people down that's what they're using it for i have to stop this uh it's awesome that's great and by yeah. the way and so i think the x-men are around somewhere they're hidden. i agree as we it's said just- as we said last episode like it, it would be no problem for Charles using his powers also, of Magneto with the abilities he has to just hide the whole if, school from everybody. If Kamala exists, as she does, and is, her only interactions with damage control have been when she manifests her powers in a very public way, there is no reason that other people who are mutants might not have been around. And it's actually very narratively easy to explain it. You have these big government-backed superheroes you don't need to go out there. You don't need to put yourself in yeah. that risk. Captain America exists. The Avengers exist. That is gone now. There is a well, new, I... oh, there is a new generation of heroes. There is a potential that a more responsible adult in that situation, a Charles or maybe even a Magneto on the other side of things, or a Storm. You know, that's one of the. She's one of the most perennially popular well, characters and has been the head teacher. I think that we could see a world where. They're going to come out of that hiding to help these young people. Well, I think that the the cool thing is that we've gotten to a place where it is actually the anti-powered, the anti-enhanced individual kind of like feeling makes a lot of sense because the previous people who had powers, everybody knew who they were. There were no... They knew their names. Spider-Man is the first character who had a secret identity. Nobody knew who he was, but crucially... Tony Stark co-signed for this person. So it seemed like, you know, you could see how the general public would go, okay, well, Tony Stark. The Sokovia Records happened. Yeah, that's just fine. Yeah, that's okay. But and but Deaver nailed it. We this is what happens when the wrong people get powers. And and that is the dynamic that's gonna be at play now that mutants are starting to come to the fore. Now, I now we mentioned that. 
clearly damage control has some kind of technology where they can track powers. They can it hone in, you know, in a very, very primitive way on a power signature, Comrons in this case, and follow that person. They're going to hone that, I think, right? And I already mentioned my crazy theory that uh, that Arnim Zola's like algorithm is going to be a part of this process. Well, I think since that's they, actually really smart. I think it makes a lot of sense. They, we know, you know since they knew about Doctor Strange sorry. Like, way back in the day. Look, you know what the history of real world has told us? Yeah. Any government does not have a problem with using Nazi technology or Nazi-affiliated science. That has been the history of many... Whoever's very... got the best tech, it exactly. doesn't really care I, like, who you are. I do not believe that DODC wouldn't have shield tech because they care oh, about 100%. Hydra. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, they that have is, that That is going to be so, there. That's going to be Here's what use. I think. I, I'm... Um, like what we've again, we've been like, how do they do it? How do they do it? I think that there is a world where, as I mentioned last episode, they have this technology where they can track powers. They had that Hydra algorithm that Shield had that allowed them to kind of like crunch numbers and figure out who's going to be a threat. They combine those two things. They turn on the computer one day and they just see like some mansion in upstate New York is just all mm -hmm. lit up with mm -hmm. power. What? And so Deaver or whoever happens to be in control of this program at that point in time just says, you know what? Send in the upgraded drones. And that give us, gives us our entree to the X-Men. Yeah. It's just like a, a, a classic, the Sentinels are at the mansion fight between the X-Men yeah. and the or, Sentinels. You know, we know how much X-Men, the animated series, is impacting this at this point uh, with the theme, with the show coming out. You know, maybe they'll have them at the mall, classic style, you know, well, the, I mean, the classic fight where you find the Jubilee, you find the mall rat kids. I, I feel like there is a lot of scope. I We had been thinking about this a lot because we love the X-Men. Shock. Spoiler alert. Yeah. But like... I'm so impressed by how casually and easily they made it seem yeah, absolutely it well. possible. Now, here's my question is, are, have Charles and, have Charles and, and Magneto split yet in, in this, in where we are post endgame, post blip, all this stuff, phase four, like, are they still together or did they split because as someone uh, on Twitter, uh, uh, um, replied to me, you could very easily see Magneto saying, well, look, look who they accept who has powers, these normal people. Mm -hmm. They accept them. But if we were to come out, they would hate us. Uh, uh, so we should just, the power people are here and they're taking the spot that we should have as homo superior. We should just reveal ourselves. And I mm -hmm. could see that being, if not the break, the kind of philosophical argument that starts the break, whether or not they've actually split up. I So I still think this is the biggest question because we are, you know, so far away from World War II now. But yeah. Magneto's origin is absolutely vital. So I I will be very interested to see in my because of the stories I enjoy, I, I would think it, love I, to see a contemporary Charles and Eric. But we are in the realm of multiverses, alt timelines, etc., time travel. Maybe there is a way that you can still have that. Maybe they're just slightly younger. Maybe they have a, you know, we've seen Wolverine. He's a character yeah. who never really ages. I mean, you know, you know they could, I think you know, there's Eric, many different Eric ways. Eric is a, they can make Eric a, a grandchild of That's Holocaust survivors. Is another way they could do it too. But I do think, listen, if the, 
again, the Zola theory is all mine. It's no, this is it's crackpot. But at the same time, like you could see if if they maintain Eric uh, having that lineage, a Jewish superhero, survivor of the Holocaust or children, child of survivors, where he'd like go, look. They're using Nazi all, tech. All their, all their technology is Nazi anyway. And they're, they're using main, that to hump people. Their main security, international security yep. apparatus yep. was like yep. 95% Nazis. Their Captain America was powered up and was supported by active Nazis, worked mm-hmm. for active Nazis. Didn't know it, but still. Yeah, like, I think that's We that's need to do something smart. about this. Okay, so, so then I think the funniest thing is it is like, very wild to be talking about this when next week we will both be in San Diego Comic-Con and we will, by two weeks, probably have an idea of where this is all going because I feel like bringing in the term mutation, playing the X-Men theme, we're probably going to get at least a title reveal or a release date for an X-Men project at San Diego. Maybe casting for the Fantastic Four, that seems a little bit closer. So I'm very interested to see how much more that will lay out because I think you make a really great point. And like, look, we are both Marvel stands. Like we remember the world yes. before Marvel Studios and we remember the desolate times of the 90s and the like Captain America movies and stuff as much as I love them. It's, yeah. it, we are big, we, we have a lot of love for these franchises, but there's probably never been a more pivotal moment since... They chose to make Iron Man and they cast Robert Downey Jr. And they ended the movie with him saying, I am Iron Man. And they took that near bankruptcy inducing deal to put that movie out. There's probably never been an as pivotal moment since then as there is now of them getting this right. Because the ex- yeah. if you don't get the X-Men and or the Fantastic Four right, you're probably going to... The, the the road of the MCU is going to change. So I feel like it's, I'm so excited. And for me, I'm very, very excited. This is a great way to start with a young, also, this is very, very in the weeds, but I do think it's very cute and I think it's intentional. In the comics, canonically, thanks to Chris Claremont's X Men run, our fave X Men run, Jean Grey, AKA Marvel Girl, is Charles Xavier's first student. I love the in the MCU, there is a world where Ms. Marvel is his first student. I think there are parallels here that they're trying to make that would be really lovely and would hark back to the past of the X-Men while also doing something new. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for the X-Men to finally make their appearance. I, I And to your point, it's obviously like a huge, huge, huge step for the inter- for Marvel to introduce the first family, the Fantastic Four, and of course the X-Men who've been the flagship heroes for, you know, maybe not the last 10 years, but certainly the previous 35 to 40. So uh, that it's going to be a huge deal. I'm weirdly more worried about the Fantastic Four intro. Of course, though, that's a class movie because project. I think, because I think that they've really, like, every, to your point, this entire the finale of Miss Marvel was like an X-Men story. And if and how hard they went into the outsiderness, the uh, the the creating your own community, the like just embracing who you are, despite the fact that like society is going to shun you. If they do that, that 
like if they commit to it that this hard when they introduce the X-Men, it's all going to be fun. I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, that's it for us. It's a big thank you to Rosie Knight for joining us on X-Ray Vision. Rosie, plugs, 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 plugs. Plug, 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 plug. What do you got to plug? I got things to plug. So you can start putting things in your diary for cool events for the Godzilla signing. So I'm going to be signing Godzilla versus Batra with Mark Martinez, who did a brilliant cover for that at Nostalgia Comics. So you'll be able to see us there on the release day, which is going to be Wednesday, the 3rd of August. And then on when, on Saturday, the 6th of August, we will be at Pulp Fiction, which is my local comic shop in Long Beach, doing a massive Godzilla day with a ton of cool artists. Oliver will be there, the amazing artist. Uh, we will have a bunch of local artists from the uh, Ink and Draw. We'll have my friend Brenda Chi, who's an incredible cover artist for IDW. It's just going to be really fun. And that will be really cool. And next week, I'll be doing a lot of stuff at San Diego. So you will be able to see there, live vicariously through me there. Jason, you will also be there, right? Yeah, we're going to be there. X-Ray Vision has a new uh, YouTube home. The Take Line channel is now dedicated to all things X-Ray Vision. So check that out for recaps, uh, primers, etc. Also, we have a Discord. Check the show notes for the link to our Discord. Please join. Love to have you there. Um, for next week's episode, we're going to be at Comic-Con, as we said. And we're going to do this really, uh, we've decided to do this cool thing. It's It's 2022 which means it's 40 years since the summer of 1982 when a million, million cool movies uh, came out. We've got a poll up now that we're going to be running up to next week where you can choose, you can vote on which of the many, many, many great movies of 1982 you want to hear us cover uh, from Comic-Con next week. So check that out. Um, the voting process has already begun. Check out the Uncultured page on social media and vote. Your vote is your voice. Please vote. Then tune in July 22nd to find out which film was chosen and which we talk about. Don't forget, five stars. Wherever you get your podcast, rate and review us. If you want to review us, give us the five stars. We love it. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Do you know someone struggling to figure out their mental health benefits? The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office is here to help. Find us at insurance.ohio.gov slash G-E-T-M-H-I-A or call us at 855-438-6442. Don't wait. The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office can help you figure out what mental health insurance benefits may be in their plan. Call us today at 855-438-6442.